welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. So um, I said I was rolling on the floor, and I just wanted to clarify. Uh, for this is really. Um, If you're watching at home, I just got to say you miss the worship, and I hope you experience something in your homes, but there are some Sundays where God just meets us, and for that, that happened to me this morning where I, I felt God's presence, and it felt like I needed to sit down on my knees, and then it turned into laying on the ground, and then I couldn't stop shaking, which I've never done before in my entire life, and believe me, I don't want to shake in front of all of you. I'd rather have it together and be the one praying for somebody shaking. I'm cool with that. And then it became this extraordinary amount of peace. And then my wife kicked me, (laughs) making sure I was awake. (laughs) Which I couldn't answer honestly because I don't really know. And I tried to sit up and I was about to fall over so I laid down again. And in the scriptures, on Pentecost Sunday, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm not this weird guy. If you're new, this is not me. (sighs) There is a thing where they're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. Today's Pentecost Sunday, and people think that they're drunk on wine. At 9 o'clock in the morning, and Peter stands up and he says, we're not drunk on wine, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the fulfillment of everything that was promised in the Old Testament. It's for children, it's for adults, it's for men, it's for women, it's for the free, it's for the slave, it's for Gentiles, it's for the, the Jews, and then the Spirit comes to bring about the culmination of everything that God promised to not just be with his people in a temple, but to be in his people again. And so I just got a little bit of that Holy Jesus, Holy Spirit gravy, whatever that is. I heard a pastor say once that it just takes a little bit of Holy Spirit gravy to run all over the plate. And I wrote that one down to bring to you today. Oh. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I kid you not, I'm not, this is not a show. This is not, me. I feel very uncomfortable right now because I'm shaky, not because I had too much coffee or I, I'm like trying to make something out of this, but I physically experience the presence of God and his presence is for you. His presence is for you. And it doesn't have to be marked by shaking or tears, or laughing uncontrollably. It can be marked with peace and quietness. It can be marked with tongues and prophecy and healing. It can be marked with the sense of knowing and being known, or joy. It can be marked by being set free, and his presence is available for you. He wants to meet you in your grief. He wants to meet you in your pain. He wants to meet you, meet you in the betrayal and the abandonment. He wants to meet you in your joy and excitement. And we said as a church, when we started this church, we said we would go after the presence of God. I was filled with the Holy Spirit in March 
2007 at a church in London. Now, I was theologically, I was saved, but I hadn't been baptized or filled in a tangible way like I did that day, and it changed my life. And I heard God's voice, and I began to experience his presence, and I I went to India, and I heard God say, plant a church in Long Beach. I was living in New uh, Costa Mesa, engaged to Alex. Why would I leave Costa Mesa in Newport Beach where I can surf great waves to go to Long Beach? That was the first question. (laughs) And then I followed him here, and we started with some of you were there, just a handful of us. And we started with a handful of us. And I remember watching John Wimber videos on YouTube from 1985 and reading books about the charismatic church and the Pentecostal movement coming from a cautious conservative background, going, reading those books, going, okay, we're going to try this now with all 12 of us in our Sunday gatherings. And we would call people forward like we do on Sundays now, and nobody would come forward. And then the same person would come forward for everything. It was so awkward. Just that guy walking down, you're not a pregnant redhead woman. I'm sorry. This word is not for you. (laughs) I'm still just trying to talk because I'm really shaky. Um, And I'll get there in just a second. But we we pursued the presence of God. And I said after COVID, and I shared this last week, I'm going to say it again. That if God decides to move in our church, I won't stop him. Because it might get awkward. I won't stop him if I'm the one shaking on the floor and no one else is shaking and everyone thinks I look like a fool. I won't stop it because I know it's the presence of God that will transform hearts, lives, cities, communities, nations. It's God's presence. We don't need programs. We don't need just structures and strategies. We don't need conferences. We need the presence of God in our lives. We need the presence of God in our household. We need the presence of God in this church. And if you would just make yourself available and say yes and follow him wherever he leads, if that means coming forward and laying down in the worship, then follow him there because that will lead to something else. But it requires you being open to him. And if you are open, he will fill whatever you open to him. So if you're holding back, he'll only fill you that much more. And if you're filled with the world, if you're filled with culture, if you're filled with bitterness, rage, envy, anger, resentment, unforgiveness, he will only fill you up until that point, and then you have to empty it. You have to repent. Get rid of that space in your heart so he can fill you with other things like joy and peace and forgiveness, and life instead of death. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do if you make yourself available to him. That's my mom right there. I love you, mom. She taught me so much. Like this last week, I was on this retreat for pastors who are burnt out, or just really pastors, but every pastor's burnt out, in case you didn't know, especially after this last year. It's true. It's heartbreaking. I don't know one pastor who's like, oh, it was great. (laughs) COVID, masks, no masks, not meeting, racial tensions, the injustice, everything's politicized, everyone hates me. It's great. Too liberal, too conservative, too masked, not masked enough. 
went to this retreat, and it was amazing. But what was amazing, not just being in Montana, holy cow, I didn't see a house for like 100 miles. I, could, I was just like imagining people growing up in that space where it's like to go somewhere takes 45 minutes to see a person. And then um, we, we had a bunch of pastors from all over, and, and, the, and the Holy Spirit just showed up over and over again. It was unbelievable. Men opened up their, their hearts to each other, confessing, and the Spirit just came. And it was, it was signs and wonders. Guys, I'm not just saying that. It was, it was signs and wonders. And there was this, this second day we were there. This worship pastor tells us that his wife had a stillborn, and he has a SVT heart condition that caused him to... Ra- to um, have medical bills that are outrageous, and he came just saying how hard it's been, how scared he is, how much anxiety he has, and how the debt is crippling his family, and a missionary from YWAM Kona raises his hand, he has zero money, and goes, I'm going to give $1,000 to your debt right now, and around the table, $11,000 given in that moment. And the man just begins to weep. We all begin to weep because what happens when the spirit shows up is he's got work to do in the room. But as long as we just keep our expectations low, keep our hopes dim, because all we know is that brokenness. All we know is that same storyline. You're gonna, all we know is despair. Things will always be the way they've always been. As long as we stay there. We won't see the impossible. We won't see the miraculous. We won't see the presence of God show up. Are we preaching this morning? Yeah. Heck yeah, we are. I should probably open the scriptures. Oh man, I don't know what. So it's 1050. Holy Spirit, you are. Um, well, it's perfect sermon for starting us off because we started our church with the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, one of the most amazing teachings in human history. If you think about the medical advancements we've had, the technological breakthrough we've had, if you think about culture, society, all the advancements we've had, we have yet as human history to advance past the moral and ethic vision ethical vision of the kingdom of God found in the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest nonviolent movements in history borrowed from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr. Throughout history, we look to this space because it is the image of what it means to live, to breathe in the kingdom of God, or as Matthew calls it, the kingdom of heavens. That God's heaven's reality is available. And this sermon is what it looks like to live in that reality as humans here and now. And it's going to challenge every single one of us. It will offend us. Because Jesus will make statements like your your righteousness has to be greater than the Pharisees who collected 2,000 laws to follow. More than that. How Jesus. You can't be inappropriately angry with a brother or sister. You can't use money in a way that manipulates. You must put your trust 
with your resources. You have to put your money where your heart is and find God. And when you do that, you'll experience peace and you won't have to worry about anything. He makes promises. He says that we're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're not going to judge each other. We're not going to judge each other. We're not going to use our spiritual insights to manipulate. Oh, yeah, that one hurt a little bit. He'll say, blessed, blessed are the spiritually ignorant. Those without a spiritual bone in their body, God's favor is with you. That's not fair. I read. I listen to Maverick City music. That's my jam right now. (laughs) Blessed are those who don't. Yes, Darren, that's how it starts. Sermon on the Mount, it's the, perfect, it's the perfect series for us to reframe our life as a church. To read the Sermon on the Mount is to, to discover what it means to be Jesus' disciples. To read it with faith is to receive power to be Jesus' disciples. Dallas Willard says, what we have come to call the Sermon on the Mount is a concise statement of Jesus' teachings on how to actually live in the reality of God's present kingdom available to us from the very space surrounding our bodies. He, he says that the kingdom is available to us with the space that is surrounding our bodies. It's not some distant thing. It's, it's right here. It concludes with a statement that all who hear and do what he, there, uh, what he there says will have a life that can stand up to everything. That is a life for eternity because it already, it is already in the eternal. I mean, if you want to read a book with this series, Dallas Willard's Divine Conspiracy, it is the most, probably my top two favorite books of all time. The structure, we'll forget the structure. We'll talk about it another time. The point of the sermon. Sorry, I'm going to get to this stuff. The point of the sermon is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. So the sermon, the whole point comes from these passages. It says, therefore, we're going to, we're going to read all of it, but it, Jesus makes it clear. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others according to it will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands, which he teaches, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then it gets to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and ends with this. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. In other words, the point of this series we are going to talk about is not to fill your head with esoteric philosophy or morality or ethics, but to help you practice, to put into practice the things of Jesus. Um. This is essential for living and following Jesus as we move forward. The Martin Luther, I'm just quoting a bunch of heroes. Martin Luther pos- says, the word possesses such power wherever seriously considered, heated, and put into practice that it never remains barren of fruit. It, will, it always awakens new thoughts, new pleasures and devotions and cleanses the heart and its meditations. The great reformer says, the word when practice has the power to change your life. What doesn't have the power to change your life? Instagram posts. That diet, that cleanse, that new yoga practice, that 30 minutes to tie abs, 
It's not going to change your life, brothers and sisters. The word of the Lord practiced in the power of the presence of God will change your life. Anyone want to change? Or am I alone on stage? Anyone want something in their life to change? A relationship, not like get rid of the relationship, but like your relational dynamics. You can, no, you can't raise it. You just, she just moved her arm, John. Wow. That's Pastor John saying, can I raise my hand? You raised her hand, yes. She, well, she was giving me the eye. She's like, thank you. Answer to my prayer. Just kidding. Presence of the Lord, um, the word of God practice will change your life. We aren't going to transform the world because we're woke or we're protecting our freedoms. We're going to change the world because we can't help but submit ourselves to the word of God in obedience. It doesn't matter what side you find. It's not going to save the world. I've taught in the past, and I've been reflecting over the last several months on our teachings. And I've taught in the past that if you want the life of Jesus, you need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And this is a paraphrase from John Mark Comer, our dear friend, and Dallas. He's paraphrasing Dallas Willard. And I realized um, the Lord spoke to me a few months ago. He says, you can't teach that anymore. Um, at worst, you're deceiving people. At the very least, it's incomplete. Well, Lord, what do you want me to say? <laughs> he said, if you want the life of Jesus, you have to practice the lifestyle of Jesus. But you can't practice the lifestyle of Jesus without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And what you are in danger of creating is a movement of Pharisees who know practices and rules without the power and presence of God. So I just publicly repent because we can't take on a rule of life without the power and presence of God. We can't take on emotionally healthy practices, spiritual disciplines, without the power and presence of God in our life. And unless you know God's power and presence, unless you're learning to, to experience, experience and receive him, you will not be made whole because of those disciplines. And I'm afraid that there will be a new movement that can can give you strategies to get off your cell phone and you'll feel like that's enough. You might do minimalism and simplicity, which we've taught. You might get really good at fasting, really good at journaling, really good at you know, contemplative prayer, but you will be void of the power and presence of God. That will not change the world around you or your heart towards Christ. What that is, and if I'm gonna be bold, is a miniature idol. Idols are given to us as pagans to help control and navigate the chaos of the world around us. And as the church, we give people little miniature idols. Nothing wrong with disciplines. You need disciplines. But without the power and presence of God, it's just an idol. We're preaching, church. Can't practice the Sermon on the Mount without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't understand Matthew's structure, you won't understand how he makes sure you, un you, make sure you get this. He, he doesn't just give us the Sermon on the Mount by itself. He sets it up and then follows through with it, okay? So if it, whenever I teach teachers how to teach the Scripture, teach teachers how to teach the Scriptures, that's a new rap song, um, it's not a rap song. I'm not signing any deals. I know you were worried. I'm not going anywhere. My music career is not taking off. 
Love you, Amos. I see you, buddy. Sweet boy. So Matthew sets it up, and then he, he bookends the Sermon on the Mount with some really important um, details that you need to understand. So um, when the Gospel of Matthew is written, there's no chapter divisions. There's no numbers to indicate transitions. Um, authors in the ancient world would use these literary devices to help you understand that there was a transition coming, and there were summary statements. So in Matthew's summary statement, you see in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and you'll see the same thing repeated verbatim in Matthew 9.35 and 10.1. So check this out. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. So we're trying to frame the Sermon on the Mount, and it will all make sense for Pentecost. Um, and it says this, Matthew chapter 4, it's the, right before the Sermon on the Mount, verse 23. Um, and if you're not a fan of The Chosen yet, this is one of theirs, uh, uh, episode 3, season 2. Um, I just want to say to all of you, should all watch The Chosen. I, I'm, not, I'm not one to do this. I, I'm not endorsed by The Chosen. The Chosen is a series about Jesus and his disciples. And it is a living commentary that is absolutely powerful. It is my favorite TV series and it is, I, I've watched all of the episodes multiple times because I want to know that Jesus they put on display. So everyone go online right now and download the app, The Chosen. It's free. And then you should sponsor and pay for it because it's amazing. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were, who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon, the, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee and Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him. So Matthew just summarizes the ministry of Jesus. This is a summary statement. What's the ministry of Jesus? It's preaching and teaching and it's healing. And, and it lists uh, a variation of issues that people in the first century would experience. So if, you were to st- if Matthew gave you a concise summary of the ministry of Jesus, it's preaching and teaching the kingdom and healing, which he, he includes the demon-possessed being delivered as part of the healing ministry of Jesus. And then you go to Matthew chapter 9. So Matthew starts there. Then it's the Sermon on the Mount, right? So, that's, that's what he, so his ministry is preaching and teaching and healing. So then the next thing we see is Sermon on the Mount, which is a collection of all of Jesus' sermons. And then it ends in chapter 8. Immediately, what does Jesus begin to do? Can you look at your Bible? If you just have your app, just scroll. It's not up there. I'm just seeing if you're good students real quick. Well, it begins, Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount, and what happens next are 10 miracles, So Matthew sets it up. Here's Jesus' ministry, preaching and teaching the kingdom and healing. Three three chapters of Sermon on the Mount, followed by 10 miracle stories. Lepers being cleansed, paralytics walking, uh, the dead rising, calming the storm. He heals a demon-possessed man. He he forgives. He um, he does all these miracle stories. And then in verse 35 of chapter 9, it says... Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Do you see what he does? Transition, Sermon on the Mount. He goes through 10 healing stories, another transition. Something else is coming. 
So in other words, what we know, scholars say, is that Matthew outlines the ministry of Jesus from chapters 5 to chapters 9. Okay, so this is the structure of his book. But then it goes to chapter 10. And right before this, Jesus looks out and he has compassion on the crowds. And he says this prayer, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And then what does Jesus do? He answers his own prayer. Verse 1, Jesus called his disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out demons and to heal every disease and sickness. And to, later on, he'll give them, commission them to preach the gospel. So what does Jesus do? He models his ministry. Then he gives his disciples the authority to do his ministry. And the, they'll, then they go out and they do his ministry. You can't live the Sermon on the Mount without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. This is the whole point. It's bookended with Jesus healing, Jesus healing, ethics of the kingdom, Sermon on the Mount. We can't even begin to comprehend the fact that we can't do Sermon on the Mount life stuff without the presence of God. And we, for too long as a church, try to hold the church accountable to this ethical dream without his presence. You won't be able to do it without his power. So the Sermon on the Mount cannot be taught as these empty practices that everyone should strive after. It's something that you must receive from God. And that requires an extraordinary amount of humility. These summary statements um, are only found in these few verses. That that these are the transitions that Matthew uh, walks us through. I had a bunch of other things to talk through, but I want to just get to the point. The, to live the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to need the Holy Spirit to empower you. We need form. Would you agree? We need structure, trellis, rules of life, helpful guidelines as followers of Jesus, form for the fire of God. Form by itself is a dead religion. And we need fire and form. We need wine and wineskins. In order to follow Jesus in this place, we need spirit and structure to empower us. We need the presence of God in our lives. We must come to the place where we wait on him again. Holy Spirit gives birth to the church on Pentecost. John's gospel says the flesh gives birth to flesh and the spirit gives birth to the spirit. No one can see the kingdom. No one can enter into the kingdom unless they are born and baptized in the spirit. We need a baptism. We need an awakening. We need to be filled with the the indwelling of the presence of God because it is the Spirit of God who transforms the church. It is the Spirit of God that marks the church. It is the Spirit of God that moves us into Christ's likeness. It is the Spirit of God that delivers us from our own brokenness. It is the Spirit of God that will restore your marriage. Yes, you need relational tools, but you need the presence of God to empower those relational tools. In our therapy culture, which is a good thing, it's great that we're getting health. We can't just rely on therapy for transformation. You'll be stuck in therapy for the rest of your lives. All the therapists will say amen. No tool will fix what is a spiritual issue. And there is a spiritual issue over us. We can't just think mental health is only a mental health issue. Yes, it is a mental health issue. And it's a demonic thing that's 
destroying the next generation and the church. And no one talks about mental health. It's taboo. Pastors suffer with anxiety and depression, which I have confessed multiple times here. Leaders are struggling with all sorts of mental health. And we don't just say, okay, the we, don't, we shouldn't just send them off to therapists, the therapists to get help. We should say this is a space that will hold space for those who are suffering with mental illness and we will have faith that you can be made whole and healed. And if there's a spiritual element, we can handle that. Why? Because we've been equipped by the power and presence of God to do the things that Jesus would do. We need to become alive in the presence of God, of God church. That doesn't mean us getting really good at Sunday worship. That doesn't mean us getting really good at websites and and language and conferences that hype it up. It means you hungering for God. I can't put that into you. I can hunger for God and say more and allow him to make a fool of me on Sunday morning. But you have to do the same thing. Imagine if there was 12 of us that were like, yeah, I'm all in. Because it was in Ephesus that an entire city is in revival because there were 12 disciples. 12 disciples who are filled with the Holy Spirit and pursue community that's countercultural and live as a missional presence. They see signs and wonders and they preach the word of God and they get rid of their idols and the city noticed. Imagine Long Beach, this diverse community in a microcosm of the United States. If this church was set on fire for the presence of God, gave up its idols and said, I want you alone, O Lord. Come and do it again. Have your way. Stir that, that first love kind of thing again. And then we step into the Sermon on the Mount and we realize there's work we gotta do. We'll partner with the practices. We'll create structures. But we, we come before you humbly saying, I want the fire of God. This is my prayer for us today. What will be the signs of his presence in the church? I wanna list out a few things that I think will happen over the next several months. Martin Lloyd-Jones says the, one of the physical manifestations of the Spirit coming upon the church is shining faces. Shining faces. And what I think he means by that, honestly, is tears. Have you, ever, have you ever experienced the presence of God coming in our community and just the tears coming down, joyful or sorrow? What is that about? It's sometimes, and I have seen this so much, like this, just this last week, I was with Zach, one of our elders, with this these group of men and pastors, and what I, what I love is that our church has been trained to hear God's voice and pray for people. So we were just doing what we do all the time on Sundays, laying hands on people and praying. And, and these big, tough men who hunt and fish for fun all the time. I guess there's a thing in Texas where you can lease hunting land year-round. Do you know this? Like, I was shocked. Like You have a camper on 3,200 acres for hunting yeah, that's what we do. I take the, the staff out and we go hunt. I'm like, that's crazy. How do I come? No, I'm just uh, like LA boys shooting some deer. No. Um, get a bunch of Orange County. Just kidding, just kidding. I think it's so interesting. So we're praying for all these different men from different walks of life. And they, it's like we, we go up and I, I was praying for this one guy and God 
gave me this image of him as a child and some, uh, it doesn't matter, but it was the deepest pain he's carried with his entire life. How did I, I didn't know. It's this random word and it unlocks the deepest grief that this man's carrying. God cares for grief. Shiny faces come after that. Release it. Would you put that? So what are the signs? We're going to see, we're going to see the gifts of the Spirit put on display. Prophecy and tongues and words of knowledge and other gifts. There's going to be songs in the Spirit. We're going to be worshiping here on Sunday. And faith's going to pull back and we're going to hear songs being sung in our church. And that's going to make some of you uncomfortable. Because you haven't been in a space that, that does that, and you're used to just the program, but we want to create space where on Sundays, like third Wednesdays, we experience the presence of God in, in tangible ways. And it says in Ephesians that when the Holy Spirit comes, instead of being drunk off wine but being filled with the Spirit, you will have thanksgiving and psalms and spiritual songs sung together. That, and he talks about mutual submission, which is also a sign. But we'll see, we'll see deliverance take place, not just here, because... Church, you brought a lot of demons into the room. True story. You don't realize it because you're not aware yet of the spiritual dynamics you're carrying in here. There's no neutral territory in which you live. It is all contested. It's either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. There is nothing neutral in our culture or society or city. So you have to learn discernment to recognize the ministry of deliverance. Sometimes we will be setting people free and you won't even know that it was a demonic force working against you. I'm, not, I'm just, this is all experience. This is all in the Bible. We can, we're gonna talk through this in the coming months after the Sermon on the Mount. We're gonna see healing. We've seen so much healing in this church and I forget so frequently. A song came out by Brandon Lake on, you know, on the other day, it's called, what's it called? Too Good Not to Believe. Holy cow. It's a prophetic song of the things that he's seen happen. I was, I've just been singing it since I found it. He's like, I've seen cancer disappear. disappear. I've seen families restored. He's just, he's just seeing, I've seen the resurrection of life. Like people come back to life. He's, and it's like declared of, I have seen those things here. You have too. And why are we sitting on these gifts to be given away? Some of you have gifts to heal people, and you're not praying for healing. Some of you have the ability to hear God's voice so clearly for other people in intercession, and you're not interceding. And what does that mean? You're sitting on those talents, guys and gals. We're going to see it. It's up to you. Go to, I'm going to keep going. We're going to see generosity. You know, I told this story, and I, I forget. I probably need to tell some of you because you haven't heard it in so long. I want to remind you of it. It was such a powerful moment. Um, in a few years ago, when we were doing two services, and the, the second service at 11 was really small, and I was going up to preach, and I heard the word 12, or I heard the number 1,200, and I knew it was $1,200. And you know the story, so forgive me for sharing it again. But I couldn't preach. I got up to preach. I opened up the Bible to read it, and I'm stumbling. I put it down. I said, hold on, I'm going to wait. I feel like the Lord wants to do something. So I said, Lord, what are you doing over here? Come on, talk to me. And I didn't know, but I, was, I couldn't preach. I couldn't preach. And I heard there's a single mom here who needs $1,200. She's being evicted from her apartment. And a woman walked, was sitting. Um, and before I said anything, all right, let's just share the word so I can get back to preaching. I'll get, get it wrong and move on. So I, literally, it was like, hey, is there a, sing, a single mom here who's being evicted who needs $1,200? They have the eviction notice. And this woman begins to cry and pulls out her eviction notice. 
And if you were there, it was so amazing because what we did next was miraculous. We passed the white buckets again, and I said, hey, um, let's just take care of it now. Put as much cash as you can in, and we'll just give it all to her. And with change counted, it was exactly $1,200. And that's when I was like, wow, that's really easy. (laughs) What if we just trusted the Holy Spirit to take care of each other's needs? So do you remember what happened? As a result, we started passing the bucket again twice, every so often so we could take care of the needs in our church. And people needed diapers, so they're taking out cash. And people started coming to our church because like, this is the church that gives the tithe and offering back to the people. It's true. But what you see in scriptures over and over again is that when the Spirit is filling a church, the church can't help but to be generous. So a guy says, a missionary with no money in the bank says, I'm giving a thousand to that need. Which which inspires a move of God in a moment to take care of somebody's deepest pain, scarcity. There's not going to be enough for my family. Oh, reconciliation. We'll see unity. We'll see reconciliation. We'll see the reconciliation of relationships, broken relationships. The last Prophecy in the Old Testament is that uh, when the day of the Lord comes, fathers will turn to the sons and sons to the fathers. We'll see the reconciliation of relationships, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters. We'll see it with racial inequity, that the church will be in the forefront of making sure we stand up for our brothers and sisters who have suffered in this nation. And we're not going to just get, we're not, we're, we're going to talk about that. And I know that language and words might create some tension because we have political views. And I totally understand that that's being, that's being on both sides, it's being, uh, it's misrepresenting the heart of Jesus. The church from the moment it is born is multiracial, multiethnic, multicultural, multilanguage, and generational. And if we want the presence of God, we have to move into that territory without fear but we got to do it through biblical teaching, right? We're not just going to learn from society and, and uh, we're not just going to learn from the academy. Some of it's helpful, some of it's not. We're going to start with the scripture. We will see reconciliation. We will see unity because of that. So what will happen is people will lay down their language. They will lay down their political perspectives to come united under the lordship of Jesus. It will take humility on both parts. And it will cost us something. Because I already know some of you are like, I can't believe he's talking about it. Some of you are like frustrated. He's woke pastor. No, that's not what's happening. That's, that's, that's actually a lie that the enemy is using to divide the church. And if that's your heart, right? If that's the mindset, that is the enemy. And I'm saying that declaratively. And we need to watch out for that yeast that will corrupt the whole. God's heart is for unity, period, full stop. And how we get there matters. And we're going to go through the scriptures to get there. I had no idea I was going to do any of this stuff. Some of this I did. (laughs) Mutual submission to one another. There's going to be a commonality, sharing life. Keep going to the next one. Um, We're going to serve one another. Do you know what ministry, the word for ministry is? Sorry for all the people doing cameras right now. I'm walking back and forth. I love you, Jake. I'll come back. I got you. I saw you get up, Jake. I I see you, brother. I'll stay, I got, there's no tape, but I I felt it in my soul. I crossed the line. I saw you jump up. (laughs) It's service. To be be in ministry is to serve one another. That's the greatest privilege. And why have we made it? Celebrity culture. 
People are building their names as they serve Jesus. Are you kidding me? Jesus is going to spit that stuff out of his mouth. We can't, we can't, we have to have a zero tolerance for that kind of mentality in this church. We lay down our lives in humble service. Yes, we stack chairs. Yes, we get coffee for one another. Yes, we pick up our trash or someone else's trash. We help people walk in because that's what it means to be in ministry. There's no stepping stone to the platform. It's laying down your life. That is the platform. Compassion, salvation, evangelism, transformation. I've been praying, and we were having our, our leadership discussion um, and planning over the next year with our staff. And one of the side comments I said is, we've had a lot of prophets come to our church. We've had a lot of, um, of apostolic people come to our church. We've had teachers and pastors over the years, but we haven't had a lot of evangelists. And I was like, we need to pray that God would bring an evangelist to impart evangelism into our community. Because it happens through impartation, right? And, and then over the last week, I got in touch with a guy who's uh, an evangelist. His name's Andy Bird, and he's going to be here in a couple of weeks. And I was like, would you come and just be yourself? And so I just feel like God's going to answer prayers. He's going to release evangelism in our church. That's going to happen in our time. All right. Let's just finish. Do you want more? Do you, do you want more of God? So let's stand up. Thank you for being the church that I get to lead. Um, I, I, I'm not saying that to, to puff you up. I'm very grateful for the journey. It's not been easy, but we are going to continue to go after the things of God, and it will cost us everything. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.